Hello, and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You're always doing just okay. That's kind of how it is with me. I I live kind of in the middle, but that does mean (laughs) that I'm never feeling awful at the same time. That is true. That's true. I may never be ecstatic, but I'm also never depressed. So, (laughs) No, I'm doing okay. Uh, We got some news last night about some new cases in Door County. Uh, Kind of a sobering live stream last night with Dr. Jim Heiss and Sue Powers, and we'll get into all of that on the podcast. Anything of note that we should talk about before we jump into COVID-19 updates and stuff for today? Just that, uh, yeah, we'll have some census information coming up after that. Uh, Important information to get out there. But yeah, let's just hop into the conversation about the sad news, another death. In Door County and a couple more cases. Right. So as of yesterday at two o'clock, there are 12 positive cases. So that's up two cases from what we reported yesterday. There was also another death that was reported yesterday. Miles, did you have a chance to watch the Facebook live stream that Door County Medical Center put together with Dr. Jim Heiss and Sue Powers yesterday? I did. And, uh, you know, there was, I don't know, did you happen to catch it too? I didn't see it last night. Um, I should really sign up for notifications so I get them when they go live so I can watch it. What were some of the things that they talked about? Obviously the updates, but uh, was there anything else of note? Yeah, I thought there there are two things that stuck out. One, that they didn't immediately say that there was not evidence of community spread. To this point, they have said that every time they've made these announcements. They didn't confirm that there is either. So they're right, in the yeah. contact tracing stage. Yeah, if you look at the, I go to the co.door.we.gov website, uh, which is the Door County like government website that has the COVID-19 press release basically every day. That's where I check out my numbers um, and that's reported or that's updated at two o'clock every day. Um, that has been updated to say that public health investigation of the two new cases is ongoing. It has not yet been determined if there is evidence of community spread. So I, I don't know if there has been official confirmation one way or the other, if the, if it's community spread at this point or not. Hopefully we will know more about that by tomorrow, but it might take a couple days. And, and the other thing that stuck out to me last night was Jim Heiss was making a point about some people who say like, well, we should just be going for herd immunity and that's the way forward. And herd immunity being like the theory that once you get this, you will then be immune to it. And the more people we have that get infected, the more we can get back to normal because those people will then be immune and can be part of the workforce. But as he said last night, he goes that these two people who who died of this are the two of the sickest patients I have ever seen in my career. Those were the words of Jim Heiss last night. So he said it it is really kind of shocking what this disease does to the body and to the organs of the body. So he was just making the point that like this is not something to take lightly and that it's it's not as simple as oh it was just a hospitalization you didn't die i mean it, it sounds like it's pretty rough on people and there's so many studies going on right now that raise a lot of questions about what this does to people's lungs long term i talked to a medical professional today who had said we don't know like if you recover what what does it look like for you down the road in, in terms of the cap- capacity and health of your lungs and, and other organs? So right. a, lot of, a 
lot of scary stuff with this. Well, and that's the thing too. Like when people go to the hospitals, a lot of times they get put on ventilators. To, to stress what a ventilator is, it's a machine that breathes for you. It pumps your lungs so that air can go in. COVID-19 makes it so that you literally cannot breathe. And I don't know if you've ever been underwater a little longer than you've wanted two miles or, you know, had another situation where you couldn't catch your breath, it's scary and it's painful. And it's not just like the flu where you're going to be sick and nauseous and coughing for a couple of days. It it has really drastic effects on people. So people who are talking about herd immunity, the other part of that is like, well, everybody gets sick and then maybe they get antibodies and maybe they uh, can't get it again. But if everybody gets sick, then there's a lot of people who are going to die. And, and you can't just have that conversation and be like, well, if you get it and you die, then I guess you just die. Like it's, that's not the conversation to be having at this point when we know as little about this disease as we do. Yeah. Um, and it's a good point you made about like the, the fear of when you can't breathe. Jim Heiss had pointed that out too. He's like, that is one of the scariest moments you can have in life is like just not being able to get air. And that's what people who are hospitalized with this, that's what they're dealing with. Um, right. Joel Kitchens had made a point today. I also sat in on a Zoom call uh, with him where he was taking questions from a lot of people. A lot of the conversation about this is um, an open call for any constituent, but it was a lot of business leaders, a lot of community leaders on this call. A lot of questions about like, what what does business look like? What should we be doing in our businesses? What What kind of messages do we need to be putting out there? Unfortunately, I wouldn't say that there was a lot of clarity provided, but it, it was a good opportunity, if nothing else, for, for Joel and others to see the kind of questions that business owners have. But one thing that he had said in that message, what he said in his conversations with medical professionals in Door County, he believes that we are either we've we've passed the spike or we're, or we're kind of right there and that this is we're on the backside of that. That strikes me as an odd thing to say, because like, we have so few cases, it's hard to say that there ever was a spike. On, and that might lead you to believe that maybe there never would be. But it'd be really hard to say that we've, we've, we're in the clear or that we've, we've hit our spike already because one small outbreak of five or six people would be the largest spike we've had. So right. we're, we're very fortunate so far. I talked to another um, prominent business owner this morning of a, a fairly sizable business um, still with questions, still not getting direction from the state, from the governor, from public health about what they're supposed to be doing. And this is a business that is open right now. This is an essential business. Um, right. That's been op eye-opening to me is to talk to people because I've mainly been focused in our conversations have mainly been focused on, okay, what do, what do businesses need to do when they do open up? But now I've realized not only do we have to answer that question, we haven't even given the businesses that are open the guidance on how they're supposed to do that in the most healthy way possible. So grocery stores, hotels, um, even restaurants that are doing takeout are kind of unclear on how they're even supposed to do that. So right. they're, they're doing it, but there's not like, you would think there might've been some sort of new update to health codes and stuff like that, that they've all been handed down. Um, they are not. And there are so many questions amongst hoteliers that really the state has to start either I know that luckily we have business owners in our community who are going to go and try and figure this out on their own, but really it would be nice if, if the state and the legislators and um, some of these industry leaders started providing some of that guidance. Right. Miles, did you have a chance to look at emergency order 34 that was announced yesterday by Governor Evers? The update to 
some of the businesses that are the, the slight turning of the dial to open a few more businesses. Right. Or if you thought on Facebook, the two and a half pages of guidelines that were released in bullet points. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did look through that yesterday and it looks like there is some more guidance uh, just in terms of like what's being put out there. But this is not what I would expect to see. Right. And, and maybe there is a fuller document out there that actually itemizes and goes through and lists things out in their entirety. But uh, just having this kind of like two and a half sheets of bullet points seems like it's not enough. You know what I mean? Well, it's definitely not. I mean, anybody who's ever run a business, like you open a restaurant, you, there are all these health code issues that you learn about. Like you, you take a, a safe server course. You take, a, if you're in the kitchen, you, you take courses to find out like all the different measures you're supposed to take, how you're supposed to clean things, exactly the temperature you're supposed to bring things to. And so you're talking to business owners that are usually, at least those are the guidelines. They may not always follow them, but for the most part, you're like, okay, we know what the rules are. And now your whole, like people are wondering like how much, what all changes? Like what, what are my rules to just operate? And nobody knows. Right. <laughs> it's just, it is so up in the air. It's, uh, I, I don't envy the restaurant tours. I mean, we're lucky at the, at the Pulse. We are an office environment. Um, there's not as many questions. We're not dealing with as many random people coming in and out of our business. And for the most part, a lot of small retail is the same way. But when you're talking restaurants, grocery stores, hoteliers, um, kind of mass gatherings, they are really in a, an unenviable position right now. Right. Is there anything else COVID-19 related that we haven't talked about that we need to update people on today before we jump into your interview with Dan Powers and the census? Well, one thing that I was reading last night is kind of on a national scale, Andy Slavitt and Mark Gottlieb. Mark Gottlieb, who worked for the FDA under the Trump administration, Andy Slavitt, who worked in, in helping launch healthcare.gov, well, kind of helping fix healthcare.gov after a kind of jumbled launch of that program um, under Barack Obama. They have come together to push Congress for, four, I think it's $46 billion for contact tracing and testing in the next coronavirus relief package. Basically, it's a, a comprehensive plan endorsed by a lot of scientists, a lot of leading people on both sides of the aisle. Really, they're trying to make this like a nonpartisan thing of like just emphasizing the importance of contact and trace for cases. If we're going to open businesses like this, a, a lot of the leading thinkers on this are saying that's a primary part of what we have to be doing. If we do have these cases, we need to be able to mobilize quickly. I've seen some articles about, you know, if we, if we have all these people laid off and we're essentially using the the payroll protection program sort of as an unemployment program, it's essentially, I don't know if you've read up on this much, Andrew, but like there were proposals of like having a universal basic income and sort right. of just doing that now, like paying people not to work. Instead, people, some legislators didn't like the idea of offering it as that. So sort of what they're doing with the payroll protection program, I mean, even though you can get these loans to pay your employees, that doesn't necessarily mean you have all the work for them to do. So it's sort of like running unemployment through the businesses. So as much as, as high as the unemployment rate is right now, it's actually much higher because businesses, many businesses are paying people not to work, but they're doing it through that payroll protection program. So right. what are the, one of the things that this program talks about is like, well, you have a lot of unemployed journalists. You have a lot of underused medical professionals right now. You have a lot of university graduate students and, and professors who don't have the work to do. You could, we could be paying them instead of like 
setting them up on unemployment from the government and setting them up on through the payroll protection program, we could just pay them to do something very useful in fighting and controlling the epidemic by hiring mm. them as contact tracers, pay them to do that work. And we also get the benefit of containing the spread of the, the virus. Um, right. it's, a, it's a very interesting plan. Everything I've read, it seems like that is a very logical thing to do and a very important thing to do if we're going to try and open up more businesses so that if something does flare up, it doesn't explode like it is in Brown County. So. I don't know. That was one thing I was just re reading this morning that I thought was really interesting. Again, those names are Andy Slavitt and Mark Gottlieb. And I think it, I, I saw the the proposal on NPR, but it's probably all over the place on the internet if you just Googled their names now. Yeah. My only concern with a plan like that is that it seems like it's too creative and forward thinking to actually be put into place. <laughs> yeah. Because so far the response has been to promise people $1,200 uh, and then deliver it to them within five to 10 weeks. So I'm not very optimistic about that. That is uh, actually another good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because on Joel Kitchen's call today, they did ask, had, had anybody gotten, has anybody seen the $600 like federal enhancement of the unemployment checks? And on this call, nobody had yet. So, and then Joel Kitchen's assistant had said that to her knowledge, there was, she had not heard of anybody who had actually gotten that $600 check yet. Um, I don't know. I, I haven't heard of anybody getting that yet. Have you? Yeah, no one, no one has gotten the $600 uh, bonus for lack of a better word in their unemployment uh, in Wisconsin yet. I believe the first, the first rollout of those payments will come not... Yeah, next Tuesday. So when you file for unemployment this weekend and you receive your check on Tuesday or whenever you receive your check next week, that will hopefully have not just one $600 payment, but all of your back pay. Uh, that's the way that it has been explained to me. Now, I haven't checked in a couple of weeks to see if any of that uh, information has been updated on the unemployment website. But from my understanding that th those checks are going to roll out starting May 4th, first or the, the week of May 1st, basically. So okay. hopefully people start seeing that stuff soon. Um, the other thing too, with the, the stimulus payments, if you haven't received your check yet, I've, I've only heard of a couple people who have, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if the majority of people are still waiting on it. Go to the IRS website and click on get my payment. Uh, you can enter in your social security number and your tax information, and it will let you know the status of your payment. So for instance, in my taxes, I got my refund direct deposited. But when I checked on get my payment, uh, it did not have my direct deposit information. So I had to uh, put that in. Who knows how long I would have waited for my check if I hadn't actually been vigilant and checked in on that. So I, I advise everybody else to do that as well. Make sure the IRS has your most up-to-date direct deposit information. Otherwise, you probably won't get a check until I start mailing checks out, and I don't even know that that has begun yet. So, Great, great piece of advice there, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah. Um, why don't we move on to the census? Miles, tell me what's going on with the census. I've been hearing people talk about the census. I know that my wife filled out the census for me, but uh, beyond <laughs> that, I don't know what's going on. Why is it a problem in Door County? What's going on? Uh, well, apparently the response rate in Door County has been very low, especially in northern Door County. Um, so compared to the rest of the state and the census, that's a legal, legal requirement. And it also has a huge impact on how funds get allocated across the country and within the state and how representation is divided across the country. So, um, I talked to Dan Powers, who is part of the complete count 
committee for Door County and just had a little discussion about what their efforts have been like to try and get people to respond. Um, some of the extension of the deadlines to do so that have come into place with COVID-19 and the way that COVID-19 has affected their ability to do the count this year. So um, just have a, a short conversation about their efforts to try and just spread the word and get people to fill out their information. So the census gets sent to your mailbox, right? Correct. And then you fill it out and send it back in. Or you can fill it out online as well. Okay. My only run with the census was when I was a little boy, one time somebody came to my door and had us fill the census out. And I, I get, I would assume that that's not the way that it happens anymore, although it probably could happen like that in certain areas. They still do make door-to-door visits, but that obviously with the COVID-19, um, the number of census workers, the ability to go and visit people in a home uh, is definitely impeding their ability to do the count. Right. So we will jump into your interview with Dan Powers uh, about the census. Is there anything else that we need to talk about today, Miles, before we wrap it up? I think that'll do it. Maybe to mention that we have a couple of uh, interesting podcasts coming up this week with Jackson Parr talking about the impact of this emergency on municipal budgets and Car Northrop from Main Street Market talking about how they have kind of reimagine their whole operation uh, um, to try and keep their employees and right. customers safe. So interesting week of podcasts coming your way. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to all those interviews coming up. Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I can't wait to talk to you again tomorrow. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, joining me now on the podcast is Dan Powers with the Door County Complete Count Committee. Um, Dan, thanks for joining us today. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. And thanks for uh covering this, getting the word out about the census. Yeah, we got, um, obviously it's a, it's the end of the decade, beginning of the new decade. So we're doing the nationwide census. This impacts a lot of areas of how we are governed and how we are represented. Um, and I know like, and we'll let you get into the, the numbers here, Dan, but Door County's response rate has not kept up with other parts of the state right now. So you guys are making a push to encourage people to respond to these census um, survey and um, start getting these numbers in for Door County. Tell me a little bit about where we're at and and the effort to get the responses up in Door County. Uh, sure. Uh, right now, this state response, uh, as of actually April 26, is uh, just under 61 percent. But Door County is under 38 hmm. percent, and it, it varies uh, by municipality. Uh, but right now, the areas that are the lowest uh, are in the northern half of the county. Uh, down is one is down as low as six percent, hmm. uh, and whereas the uh, uh, some of the other municipalities are uh, well into the mid 60s already. So. Uh, that's one of the issues, and uh, I'm not exactly sure why that is, but we're trying to get up the word out so that it comes in, because like you said, it affects a lot of things and a lot of money and programs uh, that come uh, through the state into the counties through the federal government. Yeah, and that goes down to, you know, assembly districts, uh, state senate districts, the congressional districts on the national level, and then even like the number of representatives for a state. So like Door County's numbers being low, probably not big enough to make those those large scale impacts. But it also even like in terms of people's grant funding applications for whether it be a nonprofit or a county government applying for resources, these 
these census numbers come into play when people are, are, are trying to get dollars to pull into our community, correct? Uh, absolutely correct. Uh, like you say, from the uh, apportionment of uh, congressional districts uh, to the upcoming, uh, it'll start in about a year, but redistricting is all based on census numbers. Uh, so that comes into play. And then, you know, school districts, roads, nonprofits, uh, just an amazing myriad of um, businesses and or projects uh, that depend on that count because uh, I've seen different numbers anywhere between 650 to $800 billion get apportioned back out from the federal government based on this. And so if you're undercounted, uh, you're losing money. Uh, recently, about two or three weeks ago, I heard a speaker uh, from the state census bureau uh, working on this, who estimated that for every uh, one person undercounted will cost the state approximately $2,000 of funds that won't come back to the state. Wow. So that adds up real quick if you're uh, with an undercount. And uh, right now, getting that count out is real important, but also difficult with the COVID-19. You know, and I think it, I'm guessing that in Door County, as Joel Kitchen said on our podcast uh, about a week ago, Door County is a very engaged populace, in part because we have a lot of retirees, a lot of older population, the types of folks who tend to vote and turn out for elections and do things like fill out the census. Um, but we also have a very transient population. Um, we have a lot of second homes. We have a lot of seasonal homes. And that might be playing a role, as you and I talked about off the air, um, in terms of like that percentage being lower because, you know, you survey a bunch of households, Door County has about 25,000 different um, living quarters in the, in the county, but only half of those are occupied year round. So Northern Door might even have more, a higher percentage of those seasonal condominiums and second homes. So that might be part of what, what is driving that number down, correct? Does that make sense? Yeah, I would definitely agree with it uh, because although the census is, uh, the purpose is to count people, uh, the underlying structure of it is based on um, addresses, and that uh, they start off with lists of addresses and not people. So that's why uh, they send out the invitations in the forms to addresses, and uh, if there's nobody there, they don't get it. So it counts as, but, a, uh, as a non-response, correct? As a non-response, yeah. correct. And uh, just recently I'd found out, so part of this is information uh, has come out a little bit slow on the census, but that um, any owner of a property that is vacant on April 1st, and that would be a second home, a rental property, uh, should actually go online and take the census for that, uh, for that address and simply put down zero occupants. Uh, so that may be part of the problem. The other part I think is, uh, and I do not know the reason why for this, but they do not send the census information to post office boxes. And so a lot of these addresses, uh, uh, dwellings, I think, are, may well have post office boxes and therefore didn't get uh, materials on replying. So that's another part of what we're trying to get the word out for. If you have a rental property, you can still go online and uh, just following the directions as if you don't have an ID that was sent out and you'll be able to 
maneuver to a place. And then where it says occupants for April 1st, just put down zero. That's a, a great point, too, about those. That makes me think of the other data that we get from the census gathering. It's not just about people, um, which, although that helps a lot in demographics and, and funding and finding out how many people of certain age groups are here, but also households and household characteristics. And it's one, I think like just that number of unoccupied housing units is a very instructive one for people trying to understand a lot of the issues that we have in Door County, whether it be the lack of affordable housing or how our year-round population fluctuates, those kind of things. All those those numbers start to matter in trying to paint a, a picture of Door County. I know maybe this is specific to me because I report on this stuff and I'm always looking for that kind of data, but I, I really find it fascinating when we when we get that information and if you the more accurate you get it, the better. Um, with with COVID-19 this year, that's must have had a huge impact on the on the census and as you pointed out to me, it seems like anecdotally the census is a little late the 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 project of of um, collecting the census this year is a little behind just from the standpoint of there were questions about what was going to be put on the census form, the whether or not we could have a citizenship question on the form that uh, the Trump administration had proposed, and that delayed action in in actually like sending out the census and and organizing for that. And now you have COVID-19 thrown into the midst of this. So what is COVID-19 doing to the actual census gathering information? I'd imagine you, you can't be having people go door to door like might normally take place? Uh, yes, it's a huge effect. And to one of your points, I want to uh, be sure I hit it before uh, so I don't forget it, is there is no citizenship question on the census. So uh, that shouldn't scare anybody away. And the information on the census is completely anonymous for 72 years in the sense of no information on any individual can be used even by other government agencies uh, until it's published 72 years later. Hmm. Uh, as far as uh, COVID, uh, yeah, uh, one thing all of the census offices and, uh, that were set up around the country uh, to organize this at the local regions have been closed. They're down to a skeleton crews in there, you know, just working um, uh, online, whatever they can do. But as far as um, dates, things have changed quite a bit. Uh, the response, the original schedule for getting uh, sending in responses uh, was March 12th to 31st. That is now extended until October 31st. Uh, the uh, they were census takers were going to start um, in March, going around and leave. Uh, it's what they call an update leave where they go to addresses uh, that they have not had a response from and just leave information at, uh, on the doorknob, I guess, or whatever, uh, to, for the owners of those dwellings to let them know what I was just talking about, that they should be responding for this address. And that's not going to take place until mid-June through July. So everything's been pushed back, including when the census Information is supposed to be finished and sent to the president and sent to the Congress and then eventually on to for redistricting. So the number of people involved, offices are closed, information is being limited, um, getting out into the field is pushed back. But uh, the key one here is the fact that um, the extension on responding is now um, 
through October 31st. And people can still, the preferred method for responding is still online if one just goes to 2020census.gov uh, and make sure you have that address and not the, a similar one that I see on the web sometimes. And then it just clicks on how to respond and follow the directions from there. Uh, you can do it by phone, but again, COVID has affected that in the sense of more people are doing that and there are less people taking the census on the other end. So that, that might be extremely long waits, but it is a possibility. So the best case and then, is... Uh, Go ahead. Best best way to do it is 2020census.gov. That's going to be the quickest. Right. I think you said it takes maybe seven to ten minutes probably to fill that out. Right. It's it's very brief. There are nine questions. And basically, uh, for my wife and I, it took me about seven minutes to do. Now, if I had six kids, it would take a little longer because it's the nine questions for, uh, for each person. But it's very simple. And um, all I'd recommend is because I had to do it is... Be sure you have everybody's uh, middle name if they have it and how to spell it and uh, their uh, dates. Uh, after that, it, it's, it works real easily, and I am not a techie by any means. I get <laughs> frustrated on these machines, and it was simple for me. So uh, you can do that. Another part of the COVID problem has been that there are people, and I just got a call from um, actually a friend that I used to work with uh, who d does not have a computer and uh, has been waiting for the paper uh, forms to uh, come out. And they are just now for about a week uh, starting to be delivered. So if you haven't gotten the paper form and online doesn't work for you and the phone is just undoable because of the wait times, the paper forms will be coming out soon. So keep an eye out for those and you can uh, uh, just fill it out the old fashioned way on paper and mail it back in that way. So uh, keep an eye out for those that, that'll be coming. Excellent. And then one thing, we obviously don't want anybody getting scammed right now. Um, and there's probably, I, I haven't seen them myself, but I'm guessing there's been some some scams related to the census. Is there anything that you know of that people need to watch out for or safeguards to make sure people aren't, you know, clicking on a, on a link that they might be compromising their information? Uh, sure. Um, I, I have just noticed, as a matter of fact, I was on it again this morning, when you go to 2020census.gov, uh, that there is a site that's listed with that name, uh, but it's also marked as an ad. So I haven't clicked on that. It's probably not a scam. It is probably just an ad, but right below that is U.S. Census 2020. Uh, so just uh, pay attention to that. The other is uh, the Census Bureau will never ask for things like your Social Security number. They're never asking for money or donations. Um, or anything on behalf of political parties. They will never ask for credit cards or bank numbers. And if at some point uh, a, a census counter comes to the door uh, looking uh, to me because you, there hasn't been a reply, ask for their ID. They, they, sh they will have an ID. And uh, you know, then beyond that, it's just common sense, but uh, they're not gonna ask for any numbers, money, so. If they're doing that, it's a scam. All right. So just to be clear, like that that website, to, to make sure you're in the right place, 2020census.gov. Um, anybody right. comes to your door, any ads that you see, anything that comes up on Facebook, if they're asking for money or um, social security numbers, information like that, you're getting scammed. Stop what you're doing. Don't respond. Um, and just and, make sure you're at exactly. the official, official site. Um, 
Correct. Dan, anything else people should know about the census this year or um, resources for them? Um, other than to keep in mind, one, it's uh, the census is actually in the Constitution, right? In the, uh, Article 1, Section 2, it uh, says that they, they gave a date for the first one. So every ever since 1790, every 10 years, the country takes a census. And uh, it's a, it's not just about a, a general count. It's about how uh, our representatives and the money is distributed. And also an amazing amount of, as kind of alluded to before, uh, the information gathered through the census is what's used for planning at all levels, nursing homes, hospitals, schools, et cetera. Uh, so it's, it's not only part of the civic duty, and it is legally required by law, uh, to re- but it is civic duty, and the information is extremely valuable uh, and used constantly. And if we're undercounted, we're going to lose. So please, you know, uh, anybody on there's... Uh, social media feeds, uh, Facebook, whatever, to, uh, you know, remind your friends, neighbors to uh, get, uh, go online and uh, take the census. It's, it's very brief and uh, it's extremely important. And even those, you know, a, a great way to maybe get this word out too, is if, if people who own businesses, um, you might have a lot of staff that might be transient or that is um, younger folks who maybe just don't pay attention to this as much. Um, if within right. businesses, you personally just encourage people like, Hey, make sure you fill out the census. Um, that could go a long way. Just a simple nudge to remind people who might not otherwise be paying close attention to this kind of thing. Um, let's make sure everyone gets counted. Exactly. Uh, what I was going to say is, uh, earlier on back in, I think it was in, uh, February through the complete count census, the county, um, sent out letters asking different groups to do that, faith leaders, school uh, representatives, school districts, uh, business community leaders, uh, to, uh, you know, post and let employees know. And basically the information is about where were you living on April 1st? And uh, that's what they're after. And again, it's totally uh, secure and nobody can get individual data out of this. So uh, people should not be afraid to do this. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us on podcast, sharing some information on this and getting the word out and for the work your committee is doing. Um, thanks. And hopefully we talk to you again soon. I hope so. And thank you again for helping us get the word out. Thanks, Miles. All right. Take care, Dan. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.